Hey, Carl here to announce a very special project that I've been working on for the last month. And now it's launched. It's called Blazer Train. That's right. It's free Blazer training YouTube videos. It's a complete class. We've got five episodes up there, including an interview with Steve Sanderson and David Fowler. We're going to have new content every week. Go get it, folks. Blazertrain.com. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, we're in the cloud. We're recording in the cloud today. Ah, uh, see, using new technology, new techniques, new ways. I love it. New ways. We actually might, and I, I, I think you're on board for this, Richard, but, you know, in the future, we want to uh, give a little special treat to our Patreons by doing a live stream of the recording of .NET Rocks for them. You know, it's so that they it's something can we used to do back in the old days, right? You know, I hate to say like right. 15 years ago, but it was 15 years ago when we used to only put out a show a week, which is what we're doing right now. We typically record on Fridays, so at the same time each week. And so people could hang out and hear the raw audio stream, and we had a little chat channel. And we'll, we're right. going to do all of that, except that we're going to be video now. Now we so, can do video. Uh, sure. Now we can well, do video. Well, you know, it's funny. We, we'd always played with this stuff, but. During a pandemic, when you're at home, suddenly these things take priority. <laughs> and you get to play with more stuff. So, you oh, know. yeah. No, the gadget count has gone way, way up. No, no too Oh, my God. I've also been automating. You know, the house automation I put in in 2009 is 10 years old now. So, I've redone. that. Yeah, after three months, I've redone everything. Like, new audio system, new sprinkler controls, new lighting controls. Like, I'm having a great time. Hmm. That's very cool. I haven't done any home automation stuff, but I've transformed one room in my house into uh, a studio, and uh, I got cameras and things everywhere, machines, good. you know, like most people. <laughs> I don't think that's true. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get started with Better Know Framework. Roll the music. Awesome. <laughs> All right, dude, what do you got? So this is for all the people that are doing recording or streaming, or maybe they just want to give a commencement speech for high school graduation. I don't know. that It's that time of year, but a lot of people are doing things over Zoom, and they're making recordings and things. So I always did the teleprompter thing the hard way. I'd put a monitor right, right under the camera, you know, and, and just have... Actually, sometimes in the studio, I actually would have a music stand set up with printed pages, and then we would just right. pull off. <laughs> but uh, the teleprompter thing is really cool, and you can get these over-the-camera lens teleprompters that have, yeah, you know, sort of scrolling. Sort of split-mirror systems, right? Yeah, but they're expensive, and it, you know, requires mm -hmm. equipment. So, I found this free-to-use uh, site called, now, I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's Z-A-C-U-E, or for our UK Zacu? friends, Z-A-C-U-E. Zacu? Zacu. Let's go with Zacu. We'll go with Zacu. Zacu. No, Zacu. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's no need to get nasty. Yeah. Zacu. Um, so, essentially what this is, it's a little website with some JavaScript that creates a teleprompter and you basically oh, nice. put it on your monitor uh, below your camera 
And right. you can set a speed, a rolling speed. You can control it with a keyboard, with a mouse. You can pause it and all that stuff. And it's really cool. And you can set the font size. And obviously, one big problem is, um, you know, if I had like a PDF or a Word doc or something like that, I have to scrunch it. So, you know, because if you have things that are too far left or too far right, your right. eyes wander and then the, you, you're not looking at the camera. It doesn't look like you're looking at the camera. Right. So this is pretty cool. And I'm, I'm using it. It's uh, I think it's an art of reusing a teleprompter and not looking like you're sounding like you're reading. Like there's a skill there too. There really is. Yeah, there really is. You know who's perfected that? Mm. Alton Brown. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's, he is interesting to watch. Yeah, he always throws in these like uh, you know, like uh, and he's like like he's thinking in mid sentence. Mm -hmm. You could use like um, ZQ or something, but he's actually reading it. Yeah, it's a written script. You know, I, I script a lot of the um, geek outs as well, but I tend right. to do the more as talking points and mm. uh, you know expand here kind of things. And you and I have done if you as you know perfectly well, it's exactly how I make my notes. It's like expand right. on X. Yes, because I, yep. the memory is useful for that. It's like you should talk about this thing at this time, and that's all the cue I need. That's public speaking one hundred and one. You know, make yeah. index cards with just bullet points. Don't write out the words you're going to say. Yeah. Anyway, that's what I got. Who's talking to us? Love it. Thanks. Grabbed a comment off a of show fifteen fifty five. What a great number fifteen fifty five, which was the evolution of the .NET framework with one Kathleen Dollard from June of twenty eighteen. And that would be the wow. last time she was on the show. So it's been too long. That's two years. Of course, in that time, she joined Microsoft and all of her things different. And so I'm sure she's yeah. a bit busy, but she's back with us finally. Hardly too long. Here we are staring show 1700 in the face and, and she's mm. back with us. Lots of great comments on the show, as usual. Very normal for Kathleen's show to get some pretty awesome comments. Some of these are a couple of years old, but I'm going to read a comment from David Rail. He's got his own okay. podcast, right? You've been on he it, does, I've been yeah. on it, David Rail. Yep. Here's his comment. He says, the .NET Core command line tooling is simply delightful. I remember days of creating scripts to cobble together calls to MS Build, Visual Studio, and creating .NET objects to try and manage IIS and all sorts of nastiness. .NET makes almost all of that so much more straightforward and less brittle. Oh, yeah, and thanks for having Kathleen on again. It's great to hear from her both for all she has to offer and because folks from Denver are always near and dear. She's a fountain of so many insights worth hearing. The story of speaking with her son about open source work at Microsoft and that he can't talk about that work at Google amused me greatly. <laughs> Fun comment. And yeah, they, one of the topics we had in that show two years ago was how .NET Core, which was still pretty young then, uh, was getting all this good command line tooling, which is much more mature today. Oh, yeah. Definitely. So, David, great to hear from you. Thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Music to Code Buy is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code Buy, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via the social medias. We publish every show to Facebook. And if you comment there and I read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Code Buy. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet, but bullet points. Nice. Just summarize. Bullet points. Yeah. Just summarize. Yeah. It's only 280 characters. Right. No novels. Exactly. Please. No. All right. Let me introduce Kathleen formally. I mean, she's been on so many times, she probably doesn't need an introduction, but she did update her bio. So let me read it. Oh. Kathleen Dollard loves to code and loves to teach and talk about code. She's written tons of articles. That's a, a, a quantifiable number. Tons. Yep. If you're printing them yep. out. 
tons of articles, videos, a book, and spoken around the world. She's principal program manager on the .NET team at Microsoft, where she works on the .NET Core CLI and SDK, Visual Basic .NET, and C Sharp. She's always ready to help developers take the next step in exploring the wonderful world we call code. And Kathleen, I, I wanted to um, mention before we start talking here that the program that we're using to do the recording and the video stuff, we can see each other with video, um, is written in VBNet. Oh, cool. Nice. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Uh, I am really excited to continue the long history of that product uh, and looking at some uh, minor rethinking of it uh, as we go forward into .NET Core because we had to assess where we've been and where we're going with it, especially alongside C Sharp. Yeah, sure. And right now C Sharp is evolving at a, a very fast pace. I was going to say frenetic, but that makes it sound negative. And, and I don't really want to say that because... C-sharp focuses so much on backwards compatibility that you only have to dive into that part of the new stuff that you want. But there's still this fantastic rate of change in C-sharp. And we feel like uh, looking at the history of VB, talking to some people and looking at uh, how people have stuck with VB, even when it has evolved slowly, we actually think that some people want stability, that stability is a feature. And so what we mm -hmm. need to do what we are committed to doing is to take that onto .NET Core. It's already been there, but take it on in a more realistic and usable way. Take it onto .NET Core and not change the language much now. Leave it as a very grown-up language, uh, Visual Basic. Languages are self, self they're, they, they're consistent inside themselves. And so there's a certain attitude, a certain way of thinking that a language has. And VB is pretty grown up in the completeness of the way it thinks. Now, I, I know people have made suggestions and I don't want to, to say any of those suggestions are like, oh, that would be completely out of, uh, out of character for Visual Basic. It's just that every time we do anything to Visual Basic, then people that are counting on the language looking the same and feeling the same for this long period of time are undermined. And so we're looking at increasing hmm. the, we, with just the language that we're slowing down on, we're still going to uh, look at C Sharp Interop. And what we need to do on that, we're going to continue to improve Visual Studio behavior. Um, and we're, we're looking at the big picture of how vis Visual Basic fits into the broader uh, language structure, but not, the stru not change the language itself. So this explains the confusion that I've had and uh, a lot of people have had in reading the March 11th Visual Basic uh, blog post that it says... Visual Basic support planned for .NET 5. And at first I was like, yay. And then it said a little bit later that we're not going to continue to evolve the language. And I thought, oh, so which, so this explains it that you, stability yeah. is a feature. <laughs> VB yeah. programmers don't want the rug pulled out from under them with massive change. And we're going to be able to continue to use VB.NET on .NET Core, .NET 5 in the future. Right. And that's especially important right now. You know, who knows what the future is going to hold in a, a long time from now. But right now, people are looking at whether to move their Visual Basic assets onto .NET Core. And so one right. of the most important things is that your .NET Core code looks exactly like your .NET Framework code. And you don't want to have a divergence there. Now, you have to pay some attention not to have divergence because of the BCL changes. 
but the language itself is going to remain the same across .NET Core and .NET Framework, at least for what we can see right now into the future. And that allows this transition to be easier for Visual Basic programmers. They won't go into .NET Core, add some sort of a language feature, and they go, oops, now .NET Framework isn't working the way I expect, or oops, you know, there's something that's confusing me going back and forth. So these are the reasons that we think that this is a time to just hold the language itself solid and then look at, you know, look at making the experience of the transition easier. But the most obvious example I can think of them would be null reference types. Null reference types is great because this is the this is the feature in C sharp that launched a million warnings. Maybe yeah. a billion warnings. This is the Maybe feature million. that's launched I would, a billion warnings. I think billion warnings, is right? not an unreasonable number, Kathleen. That's a lot yeah, of warnings. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's a lot of warnings. And I applaud everybody who's, who's, who's worked on that. I have, you know, on, on my side project, I've got that on my agenda to, to change it, uh, to be no reference aware. And this is work and it's work yeah. that has, a certain kind of payback, but the immediacy of that payback is a little different than visual basic programmers are used to expecting. It's not going to make right. what you deliver to your customer immediately better. We're more interested in catching up, in being caught up. We will be caught up. We are working on it. Caught up with WinForms. So when there's a new WinForms control, you get that control. Uh, right. That's the focus right. that we want to have where there's a real business value to whoever's using your program, because that's that's what we think Visual Basic programmers care most about. Now, when I think about the WinForm stuff, yeah, the, the big thing with the WinForm stuff, the new WinForm library that's, in .NET, that's with .NET Core mm -hmm. was yeah. the high DPI screen features. Yeah. Right. That the VB yeah. apps have, uh, have WinForms app have a tough time rendering on high DPI screens. It's tough to figure out. Right. And the new library that came with .NET Core for WinForms dealt with that with breaking mm -hmm. changes. Right. I mean, they, you guys did it the way yes. you did because it you can't just cleanly switch across. It changed things that were very fundamental. But yes, under the circumstances, when I read this blog post, you're saying VB's not coming along, so I don't get high DPI WinForms in VB.net. Yeah. That's where we wound up writing that blog post with a bit too much of the org chart in there. So when we right. say the language isn't going to evolve, that's exactly what we meant, the language. So you're not going right. to see, uh, you know, the, the feature that's painful. You know, and I do wish that, that we could squeeze it in, but, but right now we're not going to be able to. Async streams requires a new for each. You can use async streams as long as you drop down to the BCL level and you don't have that async for each that C sharp has, that's a language change. So it's, mm -hmm. that's the mm -hmm. most painful one out there. Now, if we look over at, at the BCL, then you can use, and you have all the breaking changes when something, uh, when something comes in. Now the WinForms transition versus a language transition are right. two different things. Yeah, so I was going to ask this, right? Can't I call that SDK? Like, why couldn't I call that SDK from VB.net? Because in the end, the WinForm stuff is just an SDK. Oh, yeah. So, so you absolutely, you absolutely can. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you can use, you can use that. The, the thing we're working on right now is that Visual Basic programmers do not expect their WinForm startup to look like C Sharp startup. And right. so that uses a special dialogue. And some magic under the covers, which, uh, you know, we're, 
in the middle of, of trying to update that. And that's not in preview one. Um, I'm working uh, on a blog post to see whether we, we also have a bug in preview one, we think. So uh, I'm trying to align things to see if it's a good enough experience to explain people uh, how to use it in preview one. So there's an, uh, a couple of questions that came up in reading this blog post for me, which is there's going to be support for ASP.NET Core Web API, but nothing about ASP.NET Core, not Web API. So what's the problem there or the challenge? It's Razor. Uh, sure. So there was a decision made a long time ago that Razor support was not going to be, it, Razor was not going to be ported to Visual Basic. And it's sad. It's long, you know, it was a long time ago. We can't unwrap that decision right now. That also means Blazor is off the table too, right? That also means Blazor. And so you can split your projects and have your views separate. And for Blazor on the client, of course, then that's, it's a C-sharp Blazor. But there's ways that you can do your Razor pieces in C-sharp and the rest in VB, um, which is meaningful on a team that has you know, good, solid, uh, you know, um, programmers have been there for a long time and know how to do the magic behind the scenes, but they're not UI experts. So they're not doing the front end of it. So there are some scenarios where it's really sensible and there's some scenarios where it's just painful, but you can survive it. And it's just the way of the world where we're not going to get that fixed in any time in the foreseeable future because it actually requires completely writing, rewriting the Razor engine. It's, it's a complete oh, restart. Wow. Yeah, it's a complete restart. Yeah. And that's why it was just written as a single language input. And to go back and undo that is incredibly expensive. Why was it written as a single language input? That's a great question, Carl. Well, you can't see my face right now. It's <laughs> probably mm -hmm. good. Um, well, actually, I know. I mean, I know that wasn't anything you had to do about it. No, I, it was before I even joined Microsoft, but um, I do know what the answer is. It, it's, it's a, uh, it's, it doesn't, it's not a comfortable feeling answer, which is that at the time there was very low usage of uh, ASP.NET MVC among Visual Basic uh, customers. And it's something we're more aware of now than, than I think Microsoft was then, which is that Visual Basic customers not, and I don't want to make it sound like they're all the same, but, but the way we, we think about them and what we've seen in telemetry is that they move more slowly to something new because they're, they're getting stuff out that works for their current customers. And right. so the fact that decision was made at the time it was when for C sharp, it was pretty cutting edge people that were jumping onto the MVC approach instead of web forms which was a more productive environment at that point for right. visual basic people to get code out to their, uh, to their, to their end users. And so because of the moment in time, it was decided. It's a little baffling because razor is something that makes um, web, web programming easy. a lot more high level and easy. Like it, it, somebody should have said, wait a minute, sometime in the future, our VB net customers are probably going to want to use this. Because there's nothing wrong with web forms. Yeah, there's a couple of uh, projects out there that are trying to tackle this. Um, okay. There's somebody's looking at it with XML literals. Somebody's looking at it redoing the engine. I don't know if any of that is going to come to fruition on the outside. Uh, but we don't have any plans in the foreseeable future. I never say never. So when I say in the foreseeable future, that doesn't mean we're we're thinking about doing it in the future. It means that. 
I never say never on anything. So um, sure. it's and, not, and it's not yeah. like it's not like VB.net is going to a maintenance team either. The language team is still working on it, just working on it differently. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so it does mean that decisions could be changed and could evolve as new stuff comes along. That, though, isn't the language change. So this is one of the Yeah, I, I'm with you. Yeah, this is the ASP.NET team has to decide that they want to make this huge investment when they're trying to get Blazor out to in all of the flavors of Blazor that, that you know, yeah. that we're looking at in the future. So um, we're yeah. recording this on the week that Blazor went final, right? So, or, yeah. you know, 3.2 3. Yeah. is out. Like the WebAssembly side is out in the world now. So it'd be interesting. Yeah. I totally get where the Blazor team is right now. It's been a long haul to get to this particular moment. Now is the time when they're really going to start as it is production product on the client side. Mm -hmm. And we start seeing an evolution of developers using it. Th like the funny way to say it is they're about to have their ass handed to them. Like now <laughs> the customers are really going to get into it. Not just the leading edge guys, but the I'm making... 10-year lifespan enterprise internal apps with this thing and I need right. X, Y, Z. So yeah. the product's going to, you know, in some ways this is version one. As much as yes. feedback as they've gotten and all of the politics of, of WASM and so forth, this is still V1. And we know the great version is V3. <laughs> well, yeah. I know they're working on tightening it up a little bit more than that and it's had a little bit more of a, of a preview cycle than some of what we've uh, done recently. So one would argue um, a lot more preview cycle, but okay. a lot more preview. Yeah, this but is it, this is still, there's only certain classes of developer that play with a product in that state. That's right. The the product has just transitioned to a very fundamentally new state, the kind of state where genuinely conservative developers whose only metric is productive users on software say, okay. Now this might, can this solve a particular class of problem I have? The typical problem being I got these web forms apps are busting my butt and I'm now looking for a solution. I grok and people seem to grok the web assembly version of Blazor. Like that makes sense mm. to me as a re way to redo some pages or to, the new pages will look like this and we'll transition some old pages out like that kind of mindset. Yeah. Yeah. So I really feel like you guys are about into the next year or two, get hit with a whole bunch of a new class of developer using your product, pressing on in a different way. And that's, that's exciting and wonderful. So, uh, you know, there's. Yeah, and it's, it's the business, right? And it's because it's a sign of success when those conserve, that conservative third, right? Using the cross and the chasm groups, that conservative third starts consuming your stuff. You've clearly gotten somewhere. Like you're, you're yeah. definitely, it's a real thing like that we celebrated when Angular crossed that line because libraries yeah. before Angular in the website, they didn't cross that line. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So I, I think well, Blazor will, it hasn't yet, but it will. And uh, it'll be important. And I, I think one of the things about crossing that line is the way people think differently about the life cycle of your product. And that is something that Danicor is right now just stepping into. So the confusion around the end of life for 2.2 mm -hmm. and 3.0 is the, is the, that's the symptom. Uh, but it's yeah. under, underlying that is the fact that we do not have, that we do not have the same, uh, we don't have the same rules, the same policy rules that we did for .NET mm -hmm. framework. And that's going to, yeah, sure. The 10 year lifespan thing, right? Like that you're going to be providing 10 years of maintenance on every version of the framework. 
Yes. So it's more than that, actually, for for 4.8. So 4.8, we don't know what will cause the end of 4.8, but it's more or less probably going to be the last version of Windows, at least 32-bit Windows, probably 64-bit Windows. I don't know why it wouldn't be. The last version of 60 of Windows, okay, 10 years after that. That's what that's what our, you know, it's a long, we don't know when that's going to happen. Yeah. I would point out Silverlight, which has not shipped a version since 2011, is going out of support next year in 2021. Yeah. Yeah. Right. As much as Silverlight's just offered his radar. Flash is gone. Flash is finally. Well, that was also an industry decision, not just Adobe, but everybody's saying we we got to stop that. Got to get rid of this thing. Silverlight was kind of ripped away from us. Yeah. yeah. So whether you're in Vivi or C Sharp, those those framework .NET framework apps, including the Web Forms app, are going to keep running. We 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 don't we literally don't know what will cause them to stop. We don't know what event in the history of the world will cause them to be out of support. Uh, obviously, right. it's not a hundred years, but it's a long time. It's at least ten years. So those. Yeah, and don't say obviously because the VB run is still in the flipping box, man. <laughs> still in the box, and it's been know, twenty but, more than twenty years. But that's not the story for .NET Core. So .NET Core right. long term support is three years. Right. Yeah. So three years is shorter than ten years. So yeah, definitely, and it's just a change in mindset. And guys, hold that thought right there while we take a moment for this very important message. Hey, it's Carl and Richard here to tell you that all of the NDC conferences this year are going online. You can still attend the workshops and sessions, but from the comfort of your own home. Here's what's coming up. NDC Minnesota will be September 8th through the 11th. Go to ndcminnesota.com to register. NDC Sydney is October 12 to 16. Early bird discount for NDC Sydney ends July 12th. So go to ndcsydney.com to register. Check out the full lineup of conferences at ndcconferences.com. All right, and we're back. It's Carl Franklin. This is .NET Rocks. That's Richard Campbell over there and Kathleen Dollard. And we're talking about, well, we're, we started talking about VB.NET and, uh, the next phase and how it works in .NET Core 5 coming up here very yeah, the soon. The whole first half I'm, of the show. <laughs> I'm very yeah. happy that uh, it's not going away, um, yeah. as are a lot of folks. So thank you for that, VBNet team. Well, let's talk about C Sharp, C Sharp 9. Well, yeah, so C Sharp 9 is cool. We've got uh, – my favorite feature is the init-only properties because – uh, between init-only properties and records, your ability to do immutable classes is going to go up a big step in C sharp nine. That is like, that's as much as, uh, as get is working on your, uh, nullables was the big story for C sharp eight. I think working mm-hmm. on immutability is the big story for C sharp nine. There's some other things in there that are interesting. Uh, source generators are cool and there's other stuff, but in terms of what you're actually going to see in your code, it's going to be being able to make decisions about immutability without thinking about the extra crud you have to write to do it right. It'll just happen. So yeah. that's exciting. So yeah. And it's, it, it's just a net is more bringing more. I would almost say F sharpness to C sharp too. Right. This, this, that you can be, you can push towards immutability. So you absolutely can do that. So between immutability and better pattern matching, and we're continuing to evolve the pattern matching, um, that I absolutely agree with you. We're absolutely getting, you know, moving that direction. 
uh, being inspired by F sharp is the way I think about it. Uh, so yeah. let me back up just a little bit before we get too much further into this discussion and to say that an init only property, instead of using a set, you know, for you have your get and your set, you use the keyword init. So that's the accessor. That's sort of a variant of the set accessor, which means that you can set it once and then it's immutable, right? It's, it's a little bit different than that. It's that there is a new, uh, scope. You can think about it as this. A new scope, which is from the beginning of when the class is first created to the end of an object initializer. So the only time you can set that is in a constructor or in an object initializer. Once your object is fully initialized and you have closed the object initialization with that last curly bracket, you're done. You cannot mm -hmm. ever set that value again. And so it's a way to say, hey, I'm starting up. The real thing that, that it, it, the huge benefit is that you used to have to use a constructor to get to that level of, you know, right. perfect immutability. And that means that mm -hmm. you have to set every value or do a lot, do some extra work and you have to think about it. And now we have a potential order dependency. All of that goes away. I like it when the language makes my code go away. That's really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a, yeah, yeah. I like so, that line. That's a good line. I, and I, I have this huge bias against constructors because they, they bit me enough times when they were brittle and I had, I changed something and it was a, um, it was a library. I was using a bunch of places and I had to update all of them suddenly really fast and that doesn't work very well. And so, um, I really like object initializers enough. I like object initializers enough that I use them even when I had to give up some immutability, which isn't a decision everybody would make, but now mm. nobody has to make that decision. And that's the really key feature there. Right. So, you know, one of the things I want to talk about today, if I can shift gears just a little bit, is I've been coding mm, lately. Sure. So I'm a PM Ooh, oh, wow. and my day job is going to meetings. I mean, that's, like, you know, I'm going to meetings. I'm <laughs> yeah. Aren't you supposed to not life. code? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've been coding. So uh, I have a project that I've been uh, working around system command line, which is this, uh, it's, it's a, it's, it's more than just a, a parser, but if we just start with that part of it, um, it's a command line parser and we've, we've got this kind of grown up and we took it to API review and we're looking at, you know, it's future history and all that. And it's been kind of a slow going project because we don't have much resources. A lot of it's been volunteer time. So, it's too hard to use. And by too hard to use, it means it's as hard as every other parser is to use on the planet. So this is a command line parser for what you're going to do with the args that come into your console app. Neat. And so the work I've been doing is to uh, create a, a modeling system where you can use a strong type, which is going to contain your arguments. So if you want to do like the .NET CLI, you would have a, a class for tools and all of the different items that get passed to that as options would just be properties, just properties or just parameters on a method. And the end result of that, I have to ask people and they can comment on your show and see what they think. Cause I think, I don't know, sure. we've, we've said a few places publicly, but what would it be like if you're main? So you say, you know, you have your program and you have main in there. And right now you've always seen it saying string args or string, you know, uh, array of args array of string arcs, right? That's what you've seen. What if that was strongly mm -hmm. typed? What if that was int something, string something, and then some complex type that's your arguments that's as complex as you want to be? Now, would that be interesting? Would that be a, would that be a step forward uh, from where we're at right now? 
So that's the end result of where we're going, which uh, which takes some work called dragon fruit that we've done and takes it to the next level. So I actually sent you the link for that, so you can put it uh, you you can put it out there in the show notes so people can take a look at that project. Um, but that's the, what yeah, I've been arguing that and buried in testing, and so yeah, it's been a it's been quite the experience. I'm not as good a programmer as I used to be. But I think I've muddled through it. Oh, it looks good. And it's called Dragon Fruit, not Star Fruit. Dragon Fruit is a working version in system command line. I have a model layer sitting on top of it, which is called Star Fruit, which is currently in my okay. repo and it's not been um, merged into the main repo. We're into fruit. It just happened at the beginning of the project. And so, uh, yeah, we've, we've been, we've been fruiting it around. So for the moment. So, yeah. <laughs> These names get out of control. All the command line parsing code that I've done in the past is in some deep, dark recess of some hard drive somewhere. And I'm going to call it Raisin. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much shriveled it's a and little, dead. little shriveled? Yeah, okay. It's like everybody has written a parser and because it looks so easy on the surface. But we just have the expertise having written like three of them internally at Microsoft. And everyone has mm. evolved on the last and it's built on the last and uh, – uh, there's one that McMaster's has on, which is, it's a nut, it's one of the, the forks with a little bit of stuff. We went back and rewrote the core and it's like a semantic model. Like Rosalind is a semantic model across your CLI. And because of that, our focus is on the end user, which is why initially we didn't focus on a big win for the programmer being easier. We just want it to be as easy, but we can do, uh, right now we've got tab completion is free. Help is free. Uh, being able to stop and attach a debugger is free. Uh, exception handling is free. Validation by type is free. Uh, you can do uh, validation. There's this huge array of things that are just free when you use the library. And so that's where we started focusing on the developer. But it's too much work. And now being mm -hmm. able to just have a property has an attribute on it that tells you what the aliases are, has an attribute on it that tells what the validation is, if it's a range validation and getting all of that just wrapped up and getting out with good messages to your end users is the, is the story we're working on. So, yeah. So that's the, uh, that's what I'm doing, doing on the side. That's cool. Yeah. Very nifty stuff. Yeah. Hey, Kathleen, you mentioned a downside to global JSON. Isn't that the best thing in the world? Yeah, well, we're switching gears <laughs> a lot back, back to the CLI and SDK, which is you know, yeah. it's a big part of my job, right? And so the, the problem is people don't understand, and, and it's okay, because why would you understand some things about the way that Visual Studio puts MS Build in play? And so what winds up happening if you have a global.json is that you wind up running a copy of MS Build, which is embedded in Visual Studio because Visual Studio is .NET Framework and Visual Studio is 32 bits. So it has its very own special copy. And you start right. that and then you wind up grabbing some common tasks and targets that are from the SDK that you're, that they're, some of them, bottom line is some of the common tasks and targets are from the version of MS Build that came with Visual Studio. And some are from the SDK that you pen to. So you're winding mm -hmm. up taking common tasks and targets from two different SDKs and smashing them together. And, and we should probably start with what is global.json? We should. Yeah, because some people don't know. So folks, you may have to like back up your recording and listen to that other part after I've said this. So what global.json <laughs> is, is a way to pin the SDK 
I'm sorry, it, you, you pin the version of the SDK. So if you have a global.json in your project or solution file, we recommend at the solution level, then it says that we you want that version of the SDK. Now we will roll forward on patch because we think you want patches because that's security. So if you want right. that exact patch, you need to set and say roll forward, don't do it. It's roll forward, uh, never or something like that. Right. So, so that's what global.json is. In 3.0, we added roll forward features on global.json. And the most important scenario that enabled is if you are a repo owner with contributors, then you may have put a global.json in place to say, folks, you need at least this level. You're not going to be successful with my project unless, for example, you have 2.1 or 3.1. So you want to set a floor that says at least this level. And then you can just say roll forward to the latest. That means that whatever's on somebody's machine, they're going to run the SDK that is best on their machine. So that's a, that's a really valid reason to use global.json. But what people want to do is lock it down uh, so that their builds are reproducible. And that works great on your CI machine, but it means that on Visual Studio, you're running these two different tags and targets. So we're working mm -hmm. on how to make that a little bit more straightforward. We may put a feature into five uh, that lets you have a different global.json for your uh, for Visual Studio and for your CI server so that you can stabilize the scenario of different uh, tasks and targets being trying to work together in Visual Studio and still lock down your CI machine. So that's a possibility. People can, you know, let me know one way or another. You can reach me uh, several different ways, including Twitter at Kathleen Dollard. Let me know if that's something you think makes sense uh, for your environment. But we understand that people have this need to have control over their CI CD servers. And we understand that not everybody can do the simple thing, which is just make a VM, put the SDK you want into it, nothing else can run, go. And that mm. is the best, easiest scenario, works, works great on DevOps, works in a, a certain amount of scenarios, but we definitely get feedback from people that are like, that doesn't work for me. And so people are using it and it makes us nervous because it, it, all MS Build is, is a global space for data and a mm -hmm. bunch of tasks that share data. That's the whole story of MS Build. And their tasks like build, that's what it was built for, but data gets thrown into a common location. And if there, if the, that data is treated differently because it's from two different versions of the SDK, something can go wrong. And we, we're really surprised we don't see more problems from this, honestly. Um, but we're, it's making, it's made us nervous long enough that we've, we're, really wanting to talk more about it and also let people work with us for ways to, to, uh, to try to, to outgrow this and, and replace this. Right. And do you have a sense that most people lock out the roll forward feature that they're just not using that? I think most people don't know about it because it's right. new. That's what I was thinking out. too. And if you yeah. look at the docs and you just type global.json, I think that right at the top, you're going to see our docs overview on global.json, which explains roll forward really well. We worked on those docs. And so that's a great place to go for some information on that. And what is the default behavior if you don't specify a roll forward parameter? So if you don't have a global.json at all, the best, right. the, the newest SDK on the machine will be used. If you have one, uh, then we default actually to pre-release, which some people want to turn off. 
And then right. if you specify a, just the uh, version and nothing else, we'll roll forward on patch. So, okay. and remember. Right. And which I'm, that's the most secure behavior. It is, but it can confuse people. If perhaps not the most stable behavior. Uh, it's Well, it's not bit for bit, uh, bit for bit consistent. Yeah, you're counting. We're counting on you doing patches that don't break things. We we work hard at that, but yes, um, but I I I concur. Yeah, it is a little confusing because we do not have we don't follow semantic versioning. We follow a unique and special versioning scheme, uh, which I can tell you I can justify. But it is uh, major minor is aligns with the runtime, and then we have a hundreds level, and the the hundreds is actually our feature band. So you can think about that as like, you know, that minor feature band is in the hundreds. Mm -hmm. It's the last, when we say roll forward on patch, we mean the last two digits will roll forward. And so that's right. the only part that rolls. So in okay, one of the things, that, uh, yes, by de the default is to, to roll that forward. Uh, but you know what I could say about our versioning scheme is that it is, it is annoying and, and I understand it's confusing, but we tried three other schemes before we did that and they failed. They just failed. And so this was the one that has succeeded so far. And uh, I'm, this is I'm the happy one that's to take made you the that. least angry. So it's kind of like Outlook. It's, it's the, it's the sure. least annoying solution to the problem. Yeah. We had like six to nine months when a 2.1 SDK could not build a project for the 2.1 runtime. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Maybe it was the other way around. I mean, it was yeah. just like, it was that way. A 2.1 SDK yeah. could not build a project for the 2.1 runtime. This is just crazy. And so, yeah, yeah we had to do something different. Uh, so that's that's where we're at now. So, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it's, that's, that's my – that's what I do uh, every day. And uh, well, uh, it's great to see this is an area you guys are watching now. It, it hasn't bit us much yet, even though it's vaguely annoying. Uh but you're now looking to say, how do we make this better since this one seems to stick? And we know there's some weaknesses here. Yeah, yeah. And we just, we we looked, we didn't, the only one we didn't try was four-part version numbers because we looked deeply enough into that that it would break the world. So we decided yeah. we would not do that. Um, Same but, way yeah. there was no version nine of Windows because it would break <laughs> the world. So I just went to 10. <laughs> there are things that are right and there are things that are practical and they're not always the same things. So there's not going to be a Windows 11 ever. Windows 10 is it, right? Apparently. That's funny. That's what the IT folk tell me. Richard, maybe they'll follow the lead of the, the Scotch uh, distilleries and, and start naming them colors. There you go. Right. Windows. Windows Sienna. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i don't think i don't think that's gonna go on that might work if you started at the low end of the spectrum and moved across nice. the spectrum so people could keep up the problem with the current names is i have no idea which version came before another version but if you use colors you could go across the spectrum and pick pick colors that had that were lower on the on the uh sure. on the spectrum but at some point you're going to get to windows gamma rays and then what do we do yeah, right. Windows. <laughs> Windows Alpha 255. <laughs> oh, um, my goodness. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you have been holding back a story from us, and I want to yeah. hear uh, about your accident. What the heck happened? Yeah. Oh, dear. You, you would ask me that part. I don't know. It's part of the answer. But it's really sad, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to admit the sadness, and I'm not sure that I should. 
um, because I was walking across my living room and I fell down. That is the beginning of the story. Okay. Now I think if this you gets went back, back to the whole scotch thing, no, no, it was the middle of the day and I was stone <laughs> over. And there's a particular meeting, and I won't say which one because it might upset the people who attend that meeting, that I am traumatized every time it's still on because it was on Teams. And I was laying on the floor, unable to, to move much, and I was actually scooching over to yank my laptop onto the floor and try to figure out what to do once I actually had it in hand because I needed help. And uh, so anyway, this meeting, and then once everything happened, no one could figure out how to turn the meeting off. And so this whole 20 or 30 minute <laughs> thing, how is this meeting blaring in the background? Okay, so so you, funny, you fell down. Did you know you were seriously injured? Like, oh yeah, you just fell down. I fell down. I fell down and hit hard on my hip. Very hard on my hip. And you knew there was and something so, wrong. I knew something was wrong. I didn't know how wrong. I knew I could not move and I could not move right. that leg at all. I mean, I technically I could, it just, I screamed every time I did. So it was oh, just yeah, it was an incredible sure. amount of pain. But the funny thing is that I have about three theories of what may have happened. One is that there was a chair kind of nearby. I kind of don't think I tripped over it, but it's a possibility. And I like that possibility because that's actually the best of the possibilities. Okay. Because <laughs> For the story. I think, I think and I'm not, not hundred percent sure, sure that I told this story. Oh, with I, the soft cushions. Go back and listen Sorry. to all 17 previous episodes about <laughs> 15 years ago. You're going to find an episode in which I said that I was walking across my bedroom and caught the toe of one foot in the pajama leg of the other foot and took out my shoulder. And there is some right. chance that I tripped over oh. my pants. Again. Okay. <laughs> if only well, I had this time instead of the shoulder, you did the hip. The only serious accidents I've really had were both because I managed to get caught up in the, and my mother. They were a wardrobe malfunction. And my mother's theory is I should never wear anything but sweatpants again, tied at the legs, <laughs> never let this get out. All right, so you are really, you are on the floor, you are in pain. There is a team's broken. call going on. Yes. There's nobody else in the I'm house, muted. right? I'm muted. There's no one. I live alone. I it's muted and the camera is is off. And so no help unless I do something. I have no idea where my phone is. Okay. And so I'm sitting oh. there going, What do I do? And so right. I kind of scooched over. I had my standing desk all the way at its lowest. And I was just trying to figure out how I was going to go through enough pain to reach up and just yank the laptop off and maybe try to catch it, but try to get a laptop. So I had some way to communicate. Right. I take it you don't have a smart speaker. I don't have a smart speaker. I don't, I'm not crazy about smart speakers. So yeah. I, I could kind of hear my landlord down in the garage below me, but I couldn't make enough i couldn't do enough to actually pound on the floor or something so i'm just right, like that'll hurt. You know, I'm, I'm, yeah and i'm like okay once i get the laptop what am i going to do break into the meeting uh or am i going to call my son in colorado you know what am i there's only so many people that i actually can immediately mm. get so sure. anyway what wound up happening is that my landlord actually is super into my privacy but she just felt she heard the bang and she felt like wrong about it. She actually says, I make noise all the time, but for some reason that one bothered her. And so hmm. before I'd actually pull the laptop on, she puts her head in down at the bottom of my stairs and goes, are you okay? And I'm screaming, no, no. 
Oh so goodness. from there, wow. there was, you know, a friend of hers was but, an EMT, got on the phone, you need an ambulance. And yeah. so then half an hour later, eight EMTs got me out of my apartment. But this is during the pandemic. So they were, were they all in protective gear? Hazmat? Uh, they were in, they were some, they were wearing masks, not a lot else right. here, you know, at that point. Mm. Um, they, the ambulance was brand new. It went into service an hour before. So I guess clean on that. And yeah. the emergency room had a different part for non COVID patients. And right. the floor I was on was an ortho floor, very empty because there's no electives going on, only accidents. Right. And I think that there was at least some of my nurses were folks that were staying off the COVID floor for risk. And so, uh, I really, I was scared about it, but I had no choice. And, uh, yeah, you're broken. You, know, uh, you need to be fixed. And so I have a new hip now. Um, it was, it was not, it was not repairable. Uh, and so I have a new hip. Did you go stainless or titanium? I have no idea. Did, Whatever they, they didn't show in. your brochures first. Let us show you the array of hips available. <laughs> you know, it was just, uh, you know, we could maybe try to see if it might possibly heal on its own and you will have to be off of it for eight weeks or you'll be load bearing as soon as you can. Uh, tolerate it. They didn't mention right. that that would be a while, but uh, and so it, it seemed it was what was recommended, and, and uh, I feel pretty good about it. Did they test you for coronavirus while you were in the hospital? They did not. It, they did not at the hospital I was at. They they quizzed me, but that was it. Yeah. So uh, it's surprising, isn't it? Because this is Washington, and we were like, you know, so bad at the beginning. Yeah. But uh, I I don't know the the reasons uh, for that. But they did not test me. Um, everybody was just you know, careful, but it's careful in, you know, paper masks. It's not careful in, uh, in 95. So, uh, you know, it was, it was an interesting experience. I, I was in the hospital for three days and, uh, moved in with my landlord, uh, and the couple that I, I rent a garage apartment and, uh, a very nice garage apartment, but you know, it's, it's, uh, and the, they, I lived on their uh, on their recliner, and with them helping me upstairs to bed uh, every night, and uh, they were wonderful and took care of me, and I'm very grateful wow. uh, that I wasn't trying to manage it on my own for the first uh, three weeks because it was a it was yeah, a, it's been a tough day, ride. Someone. And doing yeah. it wow. was like I missed three weeks of quarantine because I was in the middle of the hospital almost four weeks between the hospital and yeah. then uh, staying with them. And so now I'm trying to readjust for the last three weeks to quarantine. And it's not, it's not a particularly good mode for me because I'm realizing how different it is for everybody. So I'll shout out to mm -hmm, all the people sure. that, uh, that live alone because it's a particular version and people that have teenagers have a different set of high stress oh, yeah. and people or that are that have a different kind of stress or people that have family mm -hmm. close. My sister has grandkids that she doesn't feel like she can see. And they're used yeah. to they used to be up every week, and so I. Yeah, that's, know, that's my neighbors not able to touch their grandkids, so I get killing them. Yeah. Yep. So everybody has a unique and difficult experience here, and so you know I just really feel for all of those experiences, and and I just anybody who is living alone, I could tell you that I personally have a lot of you know empathy and appreciation of the fact that that is a hard scenario, and I'm working out a couple of it events every week that are social distance that can get me with with direct interaction with people because much as yeah. i love talking to you guys and much as i love seeing yeah. people on the video it's not the same no yeah it's not i, I, I see you're sitting in a chair does that mean that you it's 
everything's back to normal? Do you have trouble sitting? Are there any things that you have trouble with? I will be stiff when I get up, but I can now walk with, uh, once I get rolling, I can walk without a cane, without too much of a limp. Um, I use a cane a fair amount, and I did walk uh, someplace between a mile and a mile and a half two days ago. I wow. was tired from it. Uh, yeah, and so part of that I did well, without a cane. Kathleen and I have along. gone to Nepal together, right? Like, she's serious about her hiking. She lives in Denver yeah. for a reason. Like, I can't imagine <laughs> yeah. she's going to hold you down for long. I live in Seattle now. I live in Seattle now. So, uh, but it's, they got mountains too. I miss being out out and I'm having to pick flat trails right now. And that's really annoying. And I just, I don't, that's not your style at all. Yeah. I I hope I get back to where I can do the trails I used to do. And I, I don't know if that's realistic. Um, but, uh, I've gotten through the PT that got me walking and now I'm start, uh, next Tuesday, I start, PT that will help me, um, it will help me find where I can get back to. And so increase I'm range of motion, increase strength. Yeah. Exactly. Well, good for you, Kath. You scared the snot yeah, out good. of me, dearie. Like that, that was yeah, not, a, yeah. that, I didn't, when I heard about it at the time, I'm like, Oh my God. It's like, Oh, I can't yeah. do the show. Can we postpone it for a few weeks? I broke my hip. You did what? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm really glad well, we managed it in. I mean, this is great. Find a good time for all of yeah, us. Yeah, I'm glad we got it. And, and yeah, thanks for glad. clearing this up for us. I'm so I'm so much more comfortable with the situation around BB.net with your explanations. I really, really appreciate it. I'm glad. And yeah. uh, you know, I'm, the next thing I want to get at is like, here's how you work with our preview. And so I haven't got anything out to say. Let me clarify what we said here that um, yeah. we're not giving up. We're not we're not giving up on BB. Uh, VB is still part of the future. We know we have a lot of people using it and we want to give them the option of coming to .NET Core. And that is an option right. people may or may not take. It may or may not be right for them. Uh, but we want sure, to have that. it's important to have it there. And we want to embrace those people that have mixed C-sharp and VB shops and not make them translate their VB apps to go to .NET Core. That is one of our key scenarios to support. So Love yeah. it. Yeah, we're, we're happy. All right. I love it. Thank you, Kathleen. It's it's great to talk to you always. And uh, as Richard said, thanks for clearing things up. It makes a lot more sense now. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a